My dear listeners, uh, fans, friends, colleagues, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio, where we speak truth to patriarchal power, to predator capitalism, and have the courage to propose a new normal. Yes, a new normal, so the 99% have a better quality of life. You know, there is an alternative to the patriarchal order, though the status quo prefers you not know it. It hasn't always been this way, and it doesn't have to continue as it is. We don't need to be exploiting workers, the environment, humanity, and species on Mother Earth. We can have a world where women are equal, and 70% of us don't retire in poverty or continue to be punished for the religious dogma of some men. Poor Eve's sin. And women have been made to suffer since that propaganda got thrown up against the wall and stuck. The alternative, well, we think it's sacred feminine liberation theology, which we talk about here, namely the sacred feminine, not just as deity, but archetype and ideal, which I've written about in my books, Goddess Calling, described as comfort food to help us find our way during this evolution, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape Our World, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, and Walking an Ancient Path, Rebirthing Goddess on planet earth and why do i tell you this at the opening of many of my shows well the point is perhaps all this will help you reimagine revision reawaken and reinvent the lives we all deserve because as arantati roy said there's no such thing as the voiceless only the deliberately silence or the preferably unheard. We don't want to be that either. So find your sacred roar. (laughs) So that's your sacred roar. Um, Thank you for being with me again tonight. I know you have many other choices out there, and you're continuing to come back week after week. Is gas in my tank? I was looking at the stats Uh, today as I do every few months and um, they sure are growing you have been downloading a lot of shows and I thank you so very much for your show loyalty and thanks too to Elaine Silver for lending us her music Uh, that short clip tonight uh, was called Lady of the Lake please check out her music on CD when you're looking to expand your musical library yes her name again Elaine Silver Hope you caught uh, my special show on Saturday with Andrew Goff uh, on the goddess who fell to earth and the history of the hive, making some interesting connections about bee goddesses. Maybe a couple leaps in logic, but also some interesting new theories. You might want to tune in. I think there was some stuff worth, uh, worth, worth, worth your time. Also, uh, some very important housekeeping. Uh, even if you've hit the follow button, on my show page before, hit it again, seen some of the notification, uh, I don't know, the techno babble exactly, but uh, some of the notifications were deleted and you might not be getting notices of the shows uh, before the shows as as you once had. Uh, So you'll want to stay connected to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, you're part of our family, and not miss the great guests that come on each week. 
So about tonight's show, I'm so happy to have with me tonight Carol Guyette, a medical herbalist and medicine woman of 30 years discussing sacred plant initiations. We'll be talking about initiation ceremonies, plant dieting, the ayahuasca death vine, and I'll ask Carol if she has some insight as to why North American shamanic practice seem to be more journeys from within, you know, guided journey type things without plants. But when one goes south of the equator, we head straight to the jungle pharmacy, as one of my guests put it when he sent in his question tonight for Carol. But first, uh, a few important announcements uh, before we get to our chat. This Saturday, there will be some free talks in Venice and Irvine. I'm collaborating with the Venice Library and the Goddess Temple of Orange County to bring you Joseph Campbell Roundtables. On Saturday morning, 11 to 1 in Venice at uh, the library on Venice Boulevard, you'll have the pleasure of hearing Jeannie Davis Kimball, uh, Ph.D. and author of Warrior Women, discussing the real Amazons and warrior women and priestesses of history. Then that evening, uh, down in Irvine from 7 to 9 p.m. at the incredible Goddess Temple of Orange County, Stephen Lindstedt will present Connecting to Heart Wisdom. I want to thank the Venice Library and the Goddess Temple per, for providing these spaces for continuing education. We know there are some out there dedicated to deconstructing our educational system with their defunding while they continue to allocate money for things like corporate welfare and war. So it's up to us to offer interesting and educational presentations that uplift our spirits, fill our hearts, and nourish our minds. And did I say these are free? Yes, indeedy, absolutely, they're always free. Of course, if you want to give a donation to the Joseph Campbell Roundtable or the Goddess Temple of Orange County, it is always much appreciated. And speaking of the Goddess Temple of Orange County, did you know that uh, not only are they open to uh, all genders now, uh, but on Friday uh, they're open to the public uh, and also Saturday afternoons for meditation and viewing the beautiful museum exhibits of Goddess from the Paleolithic to the present. Uh, Goddess Spiritual Celebration Services are every Sunday, rain or shine, 11 to 12.30. And on fourth Sunday of every month, they're for all genders. And uh, other Sundays are just for adult women. Uh, every Friday from 5 to 7, you can enjoy the Temple's Venus Hour, Orange County's Best Happy Hour with libations, snacks, music, movies, and meeting new people. Again, all for free. Community building over there. And for more information, you can go to goddesstempleoc.org. Okay. Um, also, uh, if you haven't signed up yet for the Goddess Spirit Rising Conference in mid-September in Simi Valley, don't wait too much longer. Uh, lots of presenters uh, from all around the world, to tell you the truth. Uh, I uh, feel honored to be included uh, in that list of presenters. I will be uh, presenting uh, my presentation on Friday. It's called Reawakening Our Earliest Sacred Stories. It's a writing and storytelling workshop. Uh, on Friday, I'll also be uh, introducing the screening of the film Femme, Women Healing the World. And on Sunday, I'm on a panel called Is God a Sexist? Exploring the Power of the Divine Connection Beyond the Physical Body. So for more information, go to the website or Facebook page called Goddess Spirit Rising. All right. Uh, time to turn our attention to tonight's show. 
let me tell you a bit about Carol Guyette so you might get to know her a bit before we start our chat. Carol, as I said, is a medical herbalist and medicine woman who has worked with healing plants for over 30 years, a passionate plant spirit healer and teacher. She's dedicated to bringing the gifts of the plant world to others, uh, to the awakening of consciousness and restoring harmony between humans and nature. Her work blends the Celtic tradition with the teachings of the beauty way. Carol offers apprenticeships, workshops, plant medicine, personal and group ceremonies, both internationally and from her herb center, and the name I cannot pronounce, I'll have to get her to pronounce it for us, in County Clare in Ireland. And uh, her website is, again, by that strange name I can't pronounce. So, Carol, I'm going to have to bring you in now and uh, have you lend some assistance. <laughs> okay. Hello, Karen. Thank Hi. You for thank you, Carol. <laughs> so, um, where are you in County Clare? What's the name of your herb center? The name is Derry Nagitta. It's an Irish townland name that means the oak wood of the left-handed people. Um, so, yes, that's the name of my herb centre and that's the name of the website as well. It's Derry, which means oak wood, D-E-R-R-Y, and then Nagitta, N-A-G-G-I-T-A-H. Yes, and I appreciate it's a bit of a mouthful, but um, <laughs> it really holds the energy of this place. Um, everywhere in Ireland is dis- in, divided into townlands, and so this would be a townland name here. I see. Okay. Well, I'm curious, um, you know, now that I've read this, um, your herb center, is it anything like Findhorn in Scotland um, at all? or? Um well, I was inspired many years ago by um, Fintorn, um, but yeah, my centre, I suppose it is in that I work co-creatively with nature. I mean, my place is very small compared to Fintorn, um, so um, it's very different But in that way. But um, on another way, yes, I work co-creatively with nature and with the nature spirits, which is what inspired me about Fintorn in the first place and what drew me there. Um, I don't know if um, how much you know about Fintorn, but they, um, back um, in, I'm actually not sure when they started, maybe the 60s, um, and on a very, um, what was considered an infertile piece of land in Scotland, um, by working with the spirits of the place and the plant spirits, um, were growing amazing vegetables and fruits and plants that no one thought was possible. And um, so working co-creatively, and that's uh, certainly what we do here. So, um, Carol, I, 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 well, your book, um, why don't you give folks the, the, the title of your book, because it, it uh, wasn't really listed in your bio. You're going to have to fix that. <laughs> okay, yes. Yes, it's called Sacred Plant Initiations, um, and it's about um, plant ceremonies that I've been developing and running in Ireland um, for coming up 10 years now, really, um, which are ceremonies where plants are honoured and uh, they really provide a way to make a very deep connection with a plant 
and to develop a deep relationship with the plant world. Um, well, that that that's what I was, you know, I was sort of in my mind connecting those dots, but I didn't know if if I was correct. So the so you call them plant ceremonies, but is that a could I mean could we consider that a term for what you just described? You do at your herb center and what they do at um, Findhorn, uh, you know, as they work with nature to. Um, you know, create these, uh, you know, these abundant landscapes? Well, um, they're different, really. The plants, um, I mean, in some ways, as you know, you could call anything a ceremony if you're honoring the sacred and consciously connecting with spirit, then every breath is a ceremony. Um, What I'm describing in the book are specific um, plant ceremonies that I developed over time um, which incorporates the the kind of work that's done and has been done for many years at Findhorn um, working with nature spirits um, and then made into a, a particular format in order to work very deeply with a specific plant that makes any sense um, um yeah it does uh, but it does it, it it does make sense you know to someone who um you know maybe has some magical background and you know who has who uh doesn't have any reason to doubt the esoteric but what would you say to somebody who's not convinced that they're really nature spirits how do they know that there are really nature spirits out there well um what i've found in doing these plant ceremonies is that people experience them for themselves firsthand so actually it is a way for people who don't um necessarily come in um believing that there are nature spirits and that the invisible world is out there um it's a way for them to really experience it um and what basically what i do is make a preparation from a particular plant in advance and it could be something simple like dandelion or nettle um hawthorn um and i will have made a preparation in advance and then we will spend um what could be perhaps a weekend fasting and drinking this preparation of the plant and then doing various um, activities which could include things like being out in nature with the plant but also being inside meditating doing different journeys doing artwork all sorts of different activities really whatever the plant calls for Um, and by doing that so you you get the benefits of the plant on every level the physical effects so people experience physical healing um, but they also get the mental emotional and spiritual effects and people who may have come um, perhaps for instance with say a plant like hawthorn which is a wonderful heart tonic they may be attracted to a plant like that um, as a heart tonic physically 
and then it's only by actually the experiencing of it, in, especially in a ceremonial way, where the plant's really honoured as sacred, in the experiencing of it, they then um, start to actually have experiences of nature spirits and really come to know the plant as a conscious spiritual being. So often people... Now, now forgive yeah, my sorry, ignorance sorry. here, okay, and, and you can laugh at me. It's okay. But has in, in any of the art classes, has anyone ever drawn the nature spirit? I mean, uh, oh, you know, would they look Definitely. like fairies or oh, yeah, are well, they more abstract? Oh, yeah, they could be many different presentations. No, people often, um, the, the plant spirits come through in many different ways. So it, they could come through in um, artwork in as energies, so colors, swirls of energy, or they could come through actually looking more as in a human form. And, and this happens both in artwork, in um, people's uh, visionary experiences, many different ways. So they, and what I find often um, with different plant spirits, the way they appear to an individual um, can be very ba- much based on that own that person's own individual experience. Um, I think there are different factors that come into play because the the land that a a spirit is on will influence what the spirits look like, um, but also so will the person who's viewing them. Um, so, so, so there's really they, no they way different. to uh, there's really no way to um, say well without a doubt this is what the Hawthorne energy or or spirit looks like because it could be different to ev- to each individual person. Yes, yes, that would be my experience of it. Yes. Very interesting, very interesting. Well, you you know, whenever I've had any kind of esoteric experience, it's usually been after fasting or if I was sleep-deprived. So it's not unusual, I don't think, that, um, you know, people in a ritual space all weekend, especially after fasting, uh, I I would imagine it probably makes it easier for them to make a connection. Um, Do you use any kind of drumming or or, um, guided journeys or how how do you? Absolutely. So, um, everything is done in ceremony, and then within that, I use a lot of sound. Um, so, d- uh, drumming, rattling, the voice, different um, instruments for journeying and traveling um, in, on an inner level, um, and dance, song, um, movement in different ways, as well as, as I say, artwork, and actually being with the plants in nature. and Usually we would um, give a blessing to the plants um, because it's also a, it's a very much a reciprocal thing about both receiving and giving back to the plants and giving to nature. What would you say, um, Carol, or maybe some of the most remarkable experiences you might have had either in your ceremonies or just um, on, you know, in, in your center that, you know, may be produced by the plants? Well, um, yeah, that's a big question because so really there have been so many remarkable experiences that people have had and 
um, varying from individual healing experiences um, of a personal nature that happen for people um, and receiving guidance um, and many insights um, and I suppose what one of the most remarkable things has been the kind of visionary experiences that people have had from plants that are not typically considered visionary plants. Um, so, for instance, the dandelion has given people experiences that would be more likely to be associated with um, psychoactive plants like ayahuasca that you mentioned at the beginning. Um, and they don't, um, people don't expect those kind of experiences with our common, what would often be called weeds. So, um, for those kind of experiences have been uh, very um, astounding, actually, at times. Um, and some of the the spirit beings who turn up at these ceremonies and um, give assistance and sort of information and the, the, the awakening of consciousness that happens for people has been quite astounding. And um, particularly when people don't expect it from such common plants. Yeah. Well, now you said they, sp I, I think you said they spend the weekend at your place. Does that mean they they also, I mean, they'll maybe spend the night or just the day? Because yes. I'm curious if you do like dream incubations or things like that if they spend the night. Yes, we're, um, they, they do spend the night. Basically, from when we start the ceremony until when we finish, we're... Um, on the land and in the temple space that we have here so we sleep together in the temple space so that we can all dream together um, and of course the collective energy of that is very powerful in itself um, mm -hmm. so really the whole time we would be doing uh, what I would consider dreaming both sleeping dream and waking dream um, so you're really dreaming with the plant consciousness and you're also together as a group, which, of course, um, enhances the energy. Although so I should Carol, say you can... No, I was just going go to ahead, say you can also do these individually. You can equally have a very profound experience doing these kind of plant ceremonies on your own. Um, as so a with the book... I would imagine, um, I, I mean, are there any kind of cautions, you know, uh, if someone would pick up the book or is everything in the, uh, you know, do, do people have to have, have any fears or trepidation uh, trying one of your ceremonies in the book by themselves, solo, you know, without somebody like you sort of at the helm guiding them through? Um. Well, it calls for reasonable caution in terms of knowing the plant you're taking. Um, so that, of course, is always important. Um, if somebody's um, preparing a plant extract themselves, of course you have to know what plant it is to be sure you're not picking something poisonous. Um, so the first thing is to know the plant. But aside from that, really... Um, these are very safe. Once you're um, working with a, a what is a safe plant, 
um, and of course there are thousands, um, then they're, they're perfectly safe to do on your own. You could, for instance, do a plant diet, say, with chamomile, as long as you're not allergic or have some particular reason why you couldn't take it. Um, you could you could do a personal retreat with uh, with some of these very simple um, and very safe plants, um, and it could be done even just for a day of fasting and um, drinking the tea, for instance. I mean, my, in my book, I've given more um, recipes for simple and more complicated um, preparations, but it could be done simply with a herb tea where you picked, connected with the plant as much as possible, picked the, the, the plant, made a tea, and simply fast and drink that during the day, meditating, sitting with the plant, and doing your own journeying. And that, Do you have to be concerned? Um, I mean, like, for instance, would it be better... Um, to have grown your own plant to know if it has any, um, you know, poison on it that, you know, uh, maybe it w- might have gotten in a nursery or... Um, well, yes, that's, that is a good point, certainly. If you're picking in the wild, you always want to um, not pick by a main road, for instance, and... Um, you would certainly want to know that you were avoiding something that had been sprayed with pesticides. Um, so those kind of concerns certainly always um, need to be taken into account. So if you've p- grown something yourself or it's growing wild um, on a place that you know is pure, um, that's really what you want. Um, and um, with this kind of work, you really... Um, want to be picking in a an honouring way. So, like, when I go picking herbs, um, I'd always be asking what plant wants to come. So you don't just... Um, you're not just going out like a consumer, consuming, you're honouring the plant, you're giving blessings, uh, maybe a, a small pinch of dried herbs, for instance, as a gift for the plant. Um, and then taking um, a small amount. You'd never take everything that's there, for instance. Um, and so there's some very basic considerations as you'd have for picking any herbs for medicine. Um, okay. But otherwise, yeah, it's really, as long as you're sensible, it can. it's very, very safe. Well, and and that, you know, brings me to the ayahuasca. You know, some people have called it the death vine, I think, because, I mean, I'm assuming, if I'm wrong, please please feel free to correct me, um, because some people get deathly ill, you know, with uh, vomiting and, um, uh, you know, that sort of thing, you know, because they're going through a cleanse, a purge, you know, kind of a rebirth. Um, is is my assumption there. Um, I wonder if uh, you have any experience with that and would any of the preparations or herbs in your book, um, or, or are they milder than, than sometimes we hear the ayahuasca can be? Well, um, my feeling is that um, plants like ayahuasca would be, would be what I would 
call, or which in some traditions would be called teacher plants, the psychoactive plants like ayahuasca and um, things like peyote um, and um, sacred mushrooms. And so these are all psychoactive plants which tend to have what I would call stronger personalities and they kind of force, um, they're more forceful in where they take people. Um, and these traditionally would be um, considered the visionary plants. Um, and by working with the, the non-psychoactives, like, um, like I've described in the book and like I'm talking about, like nettle, dandelion, hawthorn, oak, um, all these non-psychoactives, they have a, a gentler personality. And what we're finding in doing these ceremonies is that they can take people to the same um, kind of places, but it's in a much more gentle way, and it is um, perhaps safer. Because not so everyone... Why do you think the ayahuasca is so popular then? Um, if you could maybe maybe accomplish the same thing in a more gentle way as you as you just described. Why is it so popular? Well, I think it's a very important plant. Um, why it's so popular? I think one uh, it's, it's that's um, I think there's a few aspects to that. I think it's an important plant at this time in history that is actually in a way it's been leading the other plants um, and it's interesting how it at, at this time of our consciousness um, expansion on the planet it's interesting how ayahuasca has spread um, into the west so much um, and I think actually it's kind of been leading the way for the other plants um on a you know that on a very sort of esoteric level um why it's popular with people on one level in a way it takes it makes it very easy to go um to the kind of places that you perhaps have to make more of a effort with the simpler plants um because the ayahuasca will throw you there if you know what i mean mm-hmm, <laughs> which mm-hmm. um uh and of course, you know, there's also the aspect of it being um, trendy in a way. Um, yeah. So, so I think there are a few different threads as to why it's so popular. But I do feel that overall, it is actually a master plant that is guiding the others, and somehow through its work over centuries but particularly the activity in the last few years it's helped these other plants to come up um, so people can actually get effects from um, the more common plants that perhaps um, weren't so accessible before right so with the ayahuasca I'm curious do you grow it there at the herb center or have you ever prepared it or um 
used it? I have prepared it in South America, but I, working with a plant shaman in Peru, but I don't grow it here. We don't have the climate. <laughs> okay, um, okay, that I'm makes sense. Ireland. Yes. <laughs> so so no, why do you... What do you think, Carol? Uh, one of my listeners emailed this question in to me a few days ago uh, to ask you. Um, Bruce uh, wants to know, why is it uh, when we look into shamanism in North America, uh, you know, people are doing uh, guided journeys, you know, except maybe peyote, you know, because, you know, that's, they have that here in North America. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, you know, they're doing guided journeys without plants, but when you go south of the equator, you know, uh, in his words, we head straight to the jungle pharmacy. Um, any any idea about that? Yeah, well, it's an interesting question. Um, and it's interesting because, as you say, I mean, actually, the Native Americans have been using peyote for years, Um and then, I mean, you've got other very, um, a lot of plants with a strong tradition in North America as well, like tobacco. Um, but, of course, it's not quite, um, well, they're just all different in their nature. But, um, yes, then you've got, then in South America, as you say, you go straight into the jungle pharmacy. In Europe, we've got then a different kind of range of teacher plants like the datura, the henbane, um, belladonna, which have a, um, which are much more dangerous actually, um, because you can easily die from taking um, all of those at um, anything much, you know, at a, at a wrong dosage. Um, so the, the, for me, the plants in the different continents or the different areas, uh, their whole nature is different. And it in some way reflects the personality of the land they come from um, and the energies. It's like each land has its own energy and its own assemblage point, and the plants reflect that. Um, so there's the, the difference of the land is is something to do with it, um, if that answers your question. In any way. Yeah, I, and well, you know, I'm I'm thinking about that, and I'm imagining, you know, ayahuasca down in the jungles. You know, while it's it's kind of wild and chaotic and uncultivated, and um, so maybe that's why you. I, I mean, I don't know. This might. I don't know if this makes any sense. But is that is what you're saying? Maybe that's why you end up with this ayahuasca that's, um, you know, uh, a little bit more, you know, brutal and uncivilized, so to speak. But if you, you know, use some of the things that you're talking about, like in your book, um, you know, it's coming from a more gentle, cultivated way of life uh on the planet i i mean i don't could is that what you is that what you mean yeah, or no not really <laughs> okay um, all right yeah because yeah, i'm, I'm uh, starting well, to say not... this this sounds crazy karen shut up <laughs> <laughs> um no i just um i wasn't really trying to say about it being cultivated just that the um you know why because that the wild plants are wild in each land it's just interesting to note the different personalities of the plants I mean I suppose I've looked at it um, often comparing 
like these very um, strong um, and uh, potentially toxic plants like the Tura that we have here and that would be traditionally the plants of Europe like used in the witches' flying ointments, for instance. Um, and they're very, uh, potentially very poisonous, much more so than something like ayahuasca. Um, but there, it's not, um, I don't mean that in the way that, um, because, because South America is wild and this is, um, you know, it's, no, it's, that's not really what I'm saying. It's just somehow um, holding a different energy from the energy of the land itself. Okay. Um, so it's different. I'm not really talking about the humans. I'm talking about the plants and the land. The plant energy. relationship, yes. Okay. All right. I, I get that now. So it's not about, um, yeah, because, I mean, how silly is that? I mean, that's like saying, you know, everything south of the equator is wild and uncivilized. That made, that made no sense. <laughs> um, well, also, too, there's something called um, San Pedro Cactus. Um, is yeah. is that in something or, or like how would you compare like peyote, San Pedro cactus, ayahuasca? Um, you know, what's sort of the difference? You know, what's the difference in their energy that it might? How would I guess what I'm saying is would it help someone to know the difference in their energy uh, to to choose which one they wanted if they were going to take a sacred journey? You know, would they get a different type of trip, so to speak, uh, if they took peyote versus San Pedro cactus versus ayahuasca? They would, because, you know, it's like any plant is going to have its own nature and its own personality. Um, and these strong teacher plants that, that you're talking about have very strong um, personalities. And each one is different. Um, so then it's not at all that they're all, just because they're all in that category of teacher plants, they're all the same. Um, and some people, if they're drawn to those kind of plants, they're definitely going to um, find certain types of plants that they might be drawn to. It's just the same as any plant um, ally. Well... Um, we haven't even spoken about plant allies, actually, so that um, may not mean much to your listeners. But um, every plant, whether it's a, a visionary teacher plant like ayahuasca or a, a visionary common weed, so-called, like dandelion, has its own personality and its own um, way in the world. So... If a person is going to take one of these plants, ayahuasca, San Pedro, or whatever, then you really want to be taking something that is suitable for you as a person. So that's where you want to have um, get a sense of each of each of these to know what you're drawn to. Um, but how would you get a sense of it? I mean, um, you know, I've thought about doing something like this for a long time, but, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't know where to start, you know, uh, yeah, other than yeah. talking to people who have maybe used it. But, um, I mean, any recommendations about that? Or, 
uh, recommendations on finding, how do you find a good um, a, a shamanic journey leader, you know? Yeah, well, it's a good question because it's, um, you know, there are a lot of people who go, for instance, to South America um, questing, um, hoping to find themselves, really, um, and meeting unscrupulous so-called shaman. Um, mm-hmm. um, I think the demand has, uh, you know, how people um, uh, arise to meet the demand. So it's just the um, not. It's very. It's, a, it's certainly very important to um, find somebody genuine and of integrity to work with with these kind of plants because. Um, Many people have um, challenging experiences and can be left um, damaged if it's not um, if they're not guided properly. So, I would always go by uh, personal recommendation if it's possible, rather than just look on the internet or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So, I think if if people are drawn to that kind of work, then to to actually, you know, find a personal recommendation um, of who to go to is the best way. Um, in terms of which plant to go to be called to, um, it's a quest really. Um, and um, at the end of the day, every, each one of us has to trust ourselves. Um, but of course, there are a lot of um, vulnerable people who. Um, uh, maybe sometimes try things um, without, uh, you know, enough forethought or um, find themselves in, in situations. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm yeah. stumbling here because it's hard to, to tell someone how to choose a plant. They need to really um, quest it and not just go into it lightly if you're talking about those kind of plants. Right. Um, so, I mean, you can well, always research the nature of the plant. I would try and find a reputable teacher. Um, uh, I mean, you're following your instincts and your intuition and the signs that spirit gives you, but if you're talking about people with no experience and no background in anything, then... Um, you know, it's a quest that takes time. Um, right. I think, I think sometimes from the West, people can just be too consumerism, consumerist about it, and it's like here's another thing to try, and they don't go through all the necessary steps to prepare, and that that's actually important. You know, you're yeah. talking about sacred beings here. Um, it's not just like going to a supermarket and taking something off a shelf. Right. Right. That's an I think that's an important point because I think maybe we aren't really stopping to think about as you, as you said the that the plant is a sacred being um that we're taking into our body. Um yes. you know cuz I guess you know you think about um you know psychedelics and hippies and you know that whole sort of scene and I don't think anybody was thinking about the psychedelics being sacred beings at least 
you know, yeah. I mean, I wasn't there. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not quite that old, but, you know, I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't think that was the way they were looking at, you know, using the drugs. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And this, I mean, to me, if you, if a person is going to work with um, ayahuasca, for instance, uh, it's actually the ayahuasca that calls the person. Um, and it needs to be there needs to be an attitude of respect between the human and towards the plant because these are major beings and as you say in the past there's been more of an attitude of just um, well not not recognizing that sacredness and the spiritual nature of of these beings that are that we're all equal to you know we're not um, we're not a superior race. These are, um, in fact, absolute major beings on the planet. So, okay. So it's something to, if if a person's drawn to working with these plants, it's something you quest and you ask, is this the right thing? And is the plant calling you? And then you can research the the different plants and 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 follow your intuition in the signs and signals that you get, which is all part of learning to come to know nature spirits. Okay. Well Carol, how did you how did you get involved in all of this? Well, um I have always loved plants since a child and um uh then in my twenties trained as a medical herbalist. Um, because I've always had a had a long interest in healing as well, um, and I was lucky enough uh, during the years I was training as a herbalist, I also um, made a, a long connection with what in Europe would be called a traditional wise woman, or you might call a white witch, um, a woman who had been trained in the old ways of healing and magic by her grandmother um, and so she initiated me on that path um, at the same time as I was doing my training as a medical herbalist so since then I've practiced as a herbalist and um, a flower essence practitioner and um, shamanic practitioner you, you could say um, so my work with herbs has always incorporated the spiritual because that's always been my experience of plants um so um so that's what i've done um most of my life and um it's led me on to developing these plant diets which i actually felt really called by the plants that they were wanting um, to be worked with ceremonially, um, and it, it to me it felt like remembering um, more ancient ways with the plants and um, trying to bring that into the 21st century now. Now I'm curious when you say plant diet, that confuses me the term because when I hear the word diet, I think of an eating regimen. Um, but yeah. I don't think that's what you mean. <laughs> no, it isn't at all, actually. And um, 
Um, no, uh, dieting with a plant nothing to do with a weight loss program or any kind of, um, you know, the, the traditional or the typical um, popular term of dieting. Dieting in a traditional shamanic sense with a plant means um, spending time with a plant in order to get to know it deeply and receive its gifts. Um, so, for instance, the dieters that are done in um, South America, those, they, they would probably be the most well-known form of plant diets to Westerners now, um, where people do go and diet with plants like ayahuasca and other plants in South America. Um, but actually it is something that has been much more widely practiced and, and still is. So that's what I mean by diet. Um, okay. And I call them initiation ceremonies. And really, as in my book, I use the terms uh, interchangeably, plant diet or plant initiation. Um, and I call them initiations because really the plants, in our experience, are initiating us humans to a new level of consciousness. And that's one of the things people have found in the plant ceremonies, that um, that they're actually being initiated by the plants. Because it's the mm. plants that come through and actually are changing consciousness. And, you know, when you think about we humans, you know, with our egos, um, it's probably a little hard for some to swallow that, you know, that these plants are the teachers, that they're the ones that, you know, can help us drop that veil and, you know, mm. see other dimensions. And, you know, I, I don't think probably most people give plants that much credit. Well, absolutely. And this was one of the um, big things that I've felt for years as a herbalist and plant healer um, I've seen so much amazing healing from the plants and from plants that are often considered weeds. Um, and people just really tend to underestimate the amazing gifts that come from the plants. So, so that's um, something I've felt for so long and wanted to really demonstrate to people um, the deeper qualities of the plant um, and the not just the physical ones but all these other qualities um, you know, because they really do work um, on the whole of the person emotionally, <laughs> mentally, spiritually What would you say to the person who says that because um, you're an herbalist um, mm -hmm. that if somebody uses herbs uh, versus, say, a pill from Big Pharma, which, uh, you know, who knows? You know, maybe it was made in the laboratory. Maybe it's, you know, partly herb. I mean, who knows? You know, it would depend on the pill. But um, but they say, you know, well, at least with the Big Pharma, you know, you know, you 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 know what's in the pill, or we think we know what's in the pill. You know, it. it we will get this response, so you need to take two a day, 
you know, to lower your blood sugar or whatever you're taking it for, where with the herbs, things aren't quite so predictable. Um, maybe you've got to take so much more and maybe it's not as reliable. Like women who maybe rely on herbs to... Um, uh, I don't know, maybe for their menses, you know, to stop heavy bleeding or, yeah. I, I don't know, maybe even a doula or a midwife, you know, maybe yeah. do they use herbs, you know, uh, you know, during uh, childbirth? I mean, yeah. can can the herbs be as reliable as the big pharma medication? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, um, uh well, where to start with that question? Um, or does it depend on, you know, who's prepared it and how experienced they are? So in, in that sense, you maybe don't always know what you're getting as opposed to, you know, things that are more regulated through, you know, the pharmacy. Well, certainly on the one hand, um you don't always know what you're getting with herbs in that um, some of the things sold on the internet, for instance, are not what they say they are. And I, but I suppose you get that with anything. Um, so, so, of course, there are differences as well with a, any natural plant, like, like any of us, depending where we grow and how we live so therefore a plant depending on the soil it's in and how it's grown the same as a vegetable you know is it organic or is it um covered in pesticides um so of course there are potential um differences in plants and the climate it's grown in and different things um but um what you're I mean, at the same time, it's perfectly um, possible and very, very easy to have um, reliability of of plant material, um, given taking um, certain sensible precautions, like not using pesticides on your herbs, um, growing organically, um, and picking them at the right time. Um, of course, if something's picked in a sacred manner, then it has a different quality and will give you more of the spiritual presence, if you like, of the plant. In terms of basic safety, um, in like what you're describing there between, say, a straight herbal medicine and a pharmaceutical pill, then... Um, you're probably not talking about the more esoteric um no no i no i'm not so, yeah i, I but, not the esoteric but more the results of you know it is the effectiveness of it for yeah, yeah so just the the effectiveness of a herbal medicine and basically um as long as they're grown properly um with within certain guidelines then it's completely possible to have a very very reliable herbal medicine and I think um, in a way what you're describing there represents the the sort of fear we have of nature and the, the wildness 
um, that exists today, which also is is reflected in the fear of the feminine for me, mm. that sort of wild nature. It's like unless something is produced in a laboratory and um, specified in a particular way, then we, we're almost taught to fear it. Well, well, you know, I'm I'm thinking about a dear friend of mine who um, had fibroid tumors and had heavy bleeding during her periods, and she was faced with, okay, I can go to the herbalist who is going to, you know, make this concoction, and and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, but Mm -hmm. she's going to cook something on the stove, and she's going to use all of these strange herbs and, and leaves and and you know, and and uh, and and she was going to be taught how to do it herself, which sort of scared her to death because she was afraid. Well, what if I do it wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, and if she drank a gallon of this liquid, it would probably stop her bleeding. Or she could go to the gynecologist and take a birth control pill, which would also control her bleeding. And so she said, "Hmm." What do I do? I think I'm kind of afraid to do the herbal route uh, because maybe, uh, you know, um, and I'm trying to think of the words she used, but it was it was like she she couldn't be confident that um, uh, it, it, I don't know uh, you know of its effectiveness of the potency. Um, you know, there hadn't been any study of that where at least, you know, she could get the pros and cons from the birth control pill from the little paper in the packet, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, um, and, and I know, you know, she struggled with that for a while, you know, and then yeah. she uh, ended up opting for the birth control pill because it was easier, reliable, and she didn't have to cook the concoction on her stove, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, she must um, probably that was um, TCM or traditional Chinese medicine where she had to brew up lots of herbs. And I think it was Chinese medicine, yeah. Yeah, um, which yeah, for some people is a challenge having to. Um, you know, there are there are different ways of taking herbs. Obviously, you can um, in big. I use Western herbs, and we tend to use tinctures or. Um, liquid extracts that are pre that I would have made here so then I combine several in a bottle together for a patient and then uh, which makes for ease of taking for the patient as well so they right. have a more condensed version they take in a bottle um, that's ready prepared um, and yeah well for any treatment it's um, each person has to find what's right for them and works for them at that time, doesn't it? It's um and find a practitioner that um works for them. So um and, and, well, you know, and maybe it's just the it it's we're conditioned, I think, to trust Western medicine where these sorts of things you're talking about, the herbalist, you know, those are maybe the ancient ways that we have lost our connection to and our trust in. Well, yes. I mean, I think that's absolutely true. You see, I work in rural Ireland, and um, I have found that people here 
especially living in a rural community um, and probably being in Ireland as well, um, people have an innate connection still with the earth and actually um, have still a lot of trust in the plants. Um, and I think, because I also practiced in England before moving to Ireland uh, 20 years ago, um, and in the south of England, near London, I found people um, did have, um, and that wasn't a rural community, there was less of a, um, a, a real trust of the plants, if you like, yeah. than, than there is here. It was actually really um, refreshing to see how, in a rural community here, how people do still trust the plants um, and have a lot more um, memory of um, how their um, ancestors used them. Um, yeah, maybe so their mother right. or their grandmother or their great-grandmother, you know, maybe uh, they've just been doing that for generations. So. Exactly. Exactly. They don't think twice about it. Yeah. Um, well, Carol, I know we're starting to get a little short on time, and I, I wanted to just ask you a couple quick questions. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if, if someone were a goddess advocate like me or my listeners who are very much interested in the sacred feminine, are there any plants? I mean, I know nature is, you know, the great mother, Gaia, so maybe this isn't, uh, you know, maybe this is a dumb question, but are there any particular plants that you feel like would help someone uh, maybe experience the energy of the sacred feminine um, more than maybe another? Well, um, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I mean, as you say, for me, the plant world is a whole expression of Mother Earth or Grandmother Earth. So every plant expresses the goddess um, and the goddess is um, putting her sort of mantle over the earth uh, so all the plants show different faces of the goddess or, or the goddess is reflected um, in different ways um, and having said that there are some plants that really um, really make it very easy to connect with the goddess for instance today I was walking on our land here and it's currently a wash with meadowsweet flowers, and if you have meadowsweet where you are, um, it's a really common wild plant here, and it has beautiful feathery white flowers, and it's it's one of the plants that aspirin originally came from, actually. Um, so it's got loads of medicinal qualities, but it has this amazing connection with the goddess. Um, so anyone who wants to connect with the goddess could certainly... Um, work with meadowsweet um, something like marshmallow um, and roses and a lot of the really feminine plants that um, that would symbolize love um, would make an easy connection with the goddess so rose and all the different members of the rose family are part of that um, then of course you've got things like um, mugwort for instance which takes you immediately to Artemis. Mugwort is, um, the Latin would be Artemisia, um, and mugwort takes, uh, a, makes a really easy connection with the goddess 
um, Artemis. Uh, so there's a few for you. <laughs> I could go on and on. <laughs> okay. I'm just curious. I'm a uh, I'm I'm a Sekhmet and Isis girl. Uh, anything come to mind for, for Sekhmet or Isis? Oh well, they're um, very potent. I would actually um, connect Jasmine with Isis um, and um, that heady scent of Jasmine mm-hmm. can be a way in to connect with Isis. Um, with Sekhmet, actually, um, I've worked with Sekhmet while working with Mugwort, funnily enough, having just mentioned Mugwort and Art- Artemis, mm-hmm. um, uh, and used, um, well, I won't go into the details, but um, I found a connection between Mugwort and Sekhmet. Okay. So you might try that. Because, I mean, even just to drink a tea um, without doing a complete plant diet, you could just have a, a tea of a particular plant and sit in meditation um, just as a one-off. I don't mean, you know, you don't have to do it for the whole weekend necessarily. Right, um, right, right. Or sit and in so nature. If, if, yeah, if you, people have your book... Uh, is it easy for them to do this plant dieting at home? Oh, it is, absolutely, um, because it can be as short or long as you like, and it can be as simple or um, complex as you like. And I've um, tried in the book to give lots of easy instructions and advice about um, how to do that and also um, picking plants and preparing them and that kind of thing. Um, and equally, um, even if you're not interested in doing it yourself, just to read about the the kind of experiences other people have had can be very enlightening for um, to read about. Um, and as I say, just being in nature with these plants, you don't even necessarily have to... Um, imbibe them (laughs) you Mm -hmm. could simply be going for a walk and sitting with the roses and realizing Mm -hmm. that that's an immediate connection with venus and some of the love goddesses um, or kuan yin um you know you can just be inhaling the scent and that that can help take you it's a really beautiful way to connect with the goddess and Um, how do these ceremonies tie in with with the celtic fire festivals well, they um, they can be done at any time. What we've done here is um, I've been doing them at each fire festival because um, I would have already been for many, many years celebrating the fire festivals as a way to um, honour the cycles of nature and align with them. Um, then it made sense um, for us to... Um, do the plant diets at the fire festivals when we were gathering as a group anyway Um, and as well as that it really the fire festivals are times when um, they're like cosmic gateways really so um, it facilitates a big connection with spiritual energies and certain plants will be active or more accessible if you like at particular times of year so to tie that um, the dieting of them or the uh, 
ceremonial working with them in with the fire festivals makes a lot of sense. So, for instance, um, the, by the fire festivals, I'm talking about the, um, the solstices and equinoxes and also the, um, the major fire festivals of what we would call Bealtaine here or May Day and Lunasa or um, I think you call it Lammas mm-hmm. and um, Samhain or Halloween and Imolk or um, Bridget's Day. And mm-hmm. um, so, for instance, at Bridget's Day, that's... Um, or or the beginning for us, that's the beginning of spring at the end of January. And so the goddess Bridget, who of course is one of our major goddesses in Ireland, um, would be celebrated then and um, at the same time work with plants that um, are connected with with that aspect of the goddess. Um, Like in the summer, you'd be working with at the summer solstice with the sort of peak of the the, the mother's abundance um, and at that time could easily be working with something like meadow sweet or wild rose um, so the plants go with the festivals and it really helps you tune in with the time of year and tune in with the plants so I, um, that that all sounds really interesting, and I was thinking the fire festivals and fire goddesses. Uh, is there a particular plant that maybe is in alignment with, um, you know, with sort of that fire energy? Well, fire plants um, would in would typically be um, things that are maybe, well, the, the extreme ones would be very spicy, like cayenne, for instance. Um, but also rosemary, for instance, would be a fire plant. Um, uh, those warming, stimulating plants um, typically would be associated with fire. And you've also got um, things like St. John's wort, um, which is a wonderful uh, fire plant. So there are a lot of plants that really hold this, that sun energy, and okay. St. John's wort is a wonderful one for that. Um, and my final question: uh, Do people notice lasting change uh, when they've done these ceremonies or plant diets? Well, that's been something that's been very noticeable uh, that people have um, really found. Um, that it changed their life, um, some of these ceremonies. Um, people, one of the, the big things that I have noticed and that people have said is how much um, this work has changed their relationship with nature. Um, so like you were saying at the beginning about people who may not have had any um experience of plant spirits before um, and they may have come to to do to work with plants in this way perhaps um, purely for some physical ailment um, or just pure curiosity or whatever um, and it's completely opened their eyes to the to the, the fact that plants are spiritual beings that plants are conscious um, so then that changes how they feel about nature um, because they realize 
that there's a whole invisible world out there that has become conscious to them and so that makes a big change in a person's life um, yeah yeah I know a person who uh, did the ayahuasca ceremony said that uh, she was forever changed because then without a doubt she knew that there were other dimensions and that there were spirits out there that you know, she never saw before with the naked eye, and yes. she forever looked at the world in a in a in a different way. You know, a multi-dimensional uh, way. You know, where before, yes. you know, she just saw the the people and the plants and the animals, and now she knew that there were other things out there. You know, that you couldn't see with the naked eye. Exactly, and that's exactly what people. That's the kind of comment that people make all the time. Um, and also that um, it makes them more respectful of nature because they realize that actually, you know, we're not the only beings here. There are other conscious beings. So therefore, it tends to um, have the effect of making people think, you know, I need to pay attention to this. um, Absolutely. Damage it, you know. Well, you know, that is the hope that, uh, you know, we can wake up humanity to um, to all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so, so we can, you know, uh, have everybody vibrating on a higher level and, uh, you know, expanding their consciousness. You know, hopefully, hopefully we manage, you know, and, and save ourselves. Well, Carol, I have enjoyed talking to you, and I want to say thank you so much. I, I know it's very late there. Uh, thank you for staying up in the middle of the night to talk to me and my listeners. It's It's been fun and so informative. And please tell my listeners uh, your website again and the name of your book and how they can find you and all of that good stuff. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Annette. It's been lovely to talk to you, Karen. I hope I've been able to put it across in some way that makes sense to people. Um, Oh, most definitely. Oh, good. So, um, uh, well, yeah, my book is called Sacred Plant Initiations. You can find it on Amazon. You can also find it on my website, um, which is called Derry Nagitta, D-E-R-R-Y-N-A-G-I-T-T-A-H, Dot IE, uh, so that's www.derinagitta.ie and if that um, name escapes you then you can always Google my name Carol Guyatt um, and that will take you hopefully to Derinagitta and I am actually doing a plant initiation ceremony um, in the Redwoods in September um, if anyone's interested which is um at a place called Rivers Bend Retreat Centre. Um, so we'll be spending two nights up there working with the Redwoods, which I'm really excited about. So Do I you think mean the Redwoods are... of California or the Redwoods? Yeah, exactly. Some... This is at a place called Philo in California. Ah. Um, so um, I'm very excited about that because the um, opportunity to be with the Redwoods for um, three whole days is going to be wonderful. Um, so if anyone's interested in that you'll find the details of that on my website as well Um, and you know many of my listeners are over in Europe Um, do you offer you know classes and workshops and things like that if they're close to Ireland 
Oh, absolutely. Most of my work um, is focused at Derenagitta. So I'm in the west of Ireland in County Clare, and I offer workshops and uh, plant ceremonies, and um, we've got a tree workshop coming up in August, four days working with the tree spirits on the land here at Derenagitta. Um, mm. And I also run apprenticeship programs, um, uh, plant apprenticeships. So all the details of those things are on my website. You know, you should really connect with, well, maybe you already have, but I just got this hit that you should connect with folks who are doing goddess tours to Ireland and have them come do a workshop with you for a day. Uh, that would that would really make an interesting you know, it add to the journey tremendously, I think. I used to do yeah. sacred journeys, and I wouldn't hesitate for a moment to add you to the itinerary. Oh, well, thank you. Um, so, yeah, well, I don't know who's doing Goddess Tours to Ireland, but that sounds uh, a lovely idea. Well, get in, get in touch with me after the show. It's it's not that hard to, to find them, okay. and okay. Uh, because Ireland is a hot spot for Goddess sacred sites and um yeah, yeah it, it would be easy enough and uh I, that would be a wonderful thing you could provide uh you know folks coming to ireland visiting goddess sites um this would be a wonderful added dimension i think to the journey so yeah. we also have a, a really beautiful plant labyrinth here as well which is a as you know i'm sure uh beautiful archetype that represents the divine feminine so um uh that would be lovely to introduce people to um, i think so, so. Yeah, <laughs> well thank you carol thank you so much and best of luck with your book and it sounds like you're doing wonderful work there i really wish i were closer to you to be to be able to avail myself of your 30 years knowledge uh you know it sounds like you're doing um you know, really incredible work. So thank you for your time tonight, and keep in touch. And if you're interested, do get in touch with me about, uh, you know, the goddess tours. I will indeed, and thank you very much. And good luck um, with all your wonderful work as well. Okay, thank you, you, Carol, and good night. Good night. Well, dear listeners, here's a word from Joe Carson. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree. And I came out of it. This is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, that was Serena Roney Dougal, Ph.D., speaking in Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Dancing with Gaia explores the connection between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddess as Gaia. It features 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves, and the DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book, and you know the two are just 20 bucks. You can get your own copy at dancingwithgaia.com. And boy, doesn't that fit in with what we were just talking about with uh, Carol Guyette. 
Well, uh, dear listeners, um, I hope you've liked uh, what you heard tonight and in past shows, and um, I I hope you will try your best to show your appreciation and support. Uh, Here's my um, PBS-like pitch. Uh, I hope you will please go to my uh, website at karentate.com. When you're there, go to the Goddess Store page, uh, scroll down, buy a book. Please make a donation of any amount. Um, There's other great things there, too, free stuff you want to make sure you take advantage of. And it would uh, be greatly appreciated and uh, help me pay for airtime to bring you the guests you've come to know and love each week. So uh, please consider uh, making a donation. Uh, because, you know, believe it or not, I do pay out of my pocket to keep the show on the air uh, week in and week out for the last nine years. So um, if you like the show, uh, please, uh, you know, help me keep it going. Well, that about uh, does it for tonight. Um, Next week, uh, my guest will be Marilyn McFarlane. And uh, we'll have another wonderful show for you. And... uh, Have a wonderful weekend. I hope you're enjoying the summer. And I guess that's about it. So I think we'll just uh, close tonight with uh, a little bit of music. Uh, Maybe I'll go back to um, Elaine Silver and uh, let you hear a little bit more of that song, uh, Lady of the Lake, that I had to... uh, cut off a bit early at the opening. So here's Elaine Silver and her song, Lady of the Lake. Enjoy. She's called a fire.